Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the team's present and future. Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter, Tim815, on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook, Pre-Arb Excellence Group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, Frank Thomas, and the three questions for owners and ask me questions if I was confusing. On the podcast, in an entirely different universe of subject, occasionally I am reminded it's important to take time to lay a foundation. This episode is on Frank Thomas and the three questions for owners. Realistically, It's about the three questions for the owners. But Frank Thomas is a huge portion of it for two different reasons. One, he tells a tale. And two, he he had a bit of a slogan back in the day. Many of you are young enough that you don't remember young Frank Thomas. Young Frank Thomas and older Frank Thomas really weren't that much different. Frank Thomas would make the pitcher throw a strike. And when the pitcher would throw a strike, he would punish it. But he would make the pitcher throw a strike. He would take pitches and run up counts. And it wasn't because he was necessarily being a an intolerable prick to the pitcher. It was, he knew what pitches he wanted to hit. And he wanted to hit the pitches he wanted to hit. And if you put the ball where he wanted it, he would mash it. And he mashed it really well. And he mashed it for a very, very long time. Before Frank Thomas started doing Frank Thomas things, I'm not going to say Frank Thomas created the revolution But Frank Thomas, before Frank Thomas, there was no revolution. After Frank Thomas, the revolution was finished. Thomas came up at a time when hitters drawing walks was generally assessed to the pitcher as a mistake. It wasn't a case of this hitter works counts. This hitter draws walks. Walks are a positive thing. That really wasn't that that wasn't in vogue yet. For instance, and, um, Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer, did not draw walks during uh, uh, Andre Dawson's career. Very few people made note of, you know, Andre Dawson's really good, but he doesn't draw walks very often. That wasn't that wasn't a thing. If a player nowadays has a really good career. And he's a good hitter and he hits for a lot of power, but he doesn't draw walks. That's going to be there. That, but he doesn't draw walks very often, is going to be there now. It was not part of the discussion at Frank, at the start of Frank Thomas's career. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. And people who are newbies to the game and think that the current statistics have always been around and should have always been being honored. Well, maybe, yeah, but they weren't. In 1987, 88, 92, 94, nobody cared about walks. 
Walks were an accident by the pitcher. Walks were not drawn by the hitter. Walks were mistakes by the pitcher. And at some point along the line, that started to change. Usually probably about eh, 90, late 90s, early 2000s, somewhere in there. Teams started to realize the money ball revolution. Hey, walks, gets on base, keeps the inning going, works a pitcher. Kind of good thing. That wasn't a thing. That wasn't a consideration when Andre Dawson was getting going. When Andre Dawson was getting going, uh, when Frank Thomas, it wasn't a thing when Thomas started. It wasn't a thing when Dawson started either. But at the start of the Frank Thomas's career, walks were not a thing. By the end of his career, they were. At the beginning of Frank Thomas's career, he started to have success and he had a bit of a slogan. I don't know if he had it taped up to his locker or it was something like that. Don't believe the hype. Thomas went into every game, every season. Don't believe the smoke they're blowing up your butt. Go out and do the same things you did to get to where you are now. Don't believe the hype. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't change because you're successful. Don't say, well, since I'm now a player at this echelon, I ought to quit drawing walks. No, keep doing exactly what you're doing. Don't believe the hype. Keep it up. Over the years, don't believe the hype has possibly morphed a little bit into don't take the bait. Don't believe the hype has kind of become or kind of was the uh, early 90s version of don't take the bait. Kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of. Somebody might argue semantics on me and that would be fine. But I, I really think that basically it's kind of the same thing. Don't take the bait. Don't believe the hype. Okay, one thing I like to do, as you well know, is talk about the draft. So let's talk about the draft. Frank Thomas was drafted. Oh, I looked it up even. Uh, he went to the White Sox, 8th, ninth, something like that. And then uh, and he signed for a $175,000 signing bonus. $175,000 to sign Frank Thomas and have him forever, basically. Uh, the next pick. The Chicago Cubs selected Earl Cunningham for a $185,000 signing bonus. Shortly after Earl Cunningham, Charles Johnson, a catcher from is either Miami or Florida, one of the two. He was a he was a made catcher. Everybody knew he was going to be solid. Nobody knew if he was going to be a superstar. He wasn't, but he was very solid as long as his body held up. Other first-round draft choices that year, Cal Eldred, Mo Vaughn, Chuck Knobloch, and Todd Jones were all still on the board when the Cubs took Earl Cunningham. And $185,000 was about as big of a bonus as there was back then of the players that were to come. So, you know, there, there, may, have been, there may have been a little tiny bit of a... In other years, there may have been a reason to, ooh, don't take this guy because he's a high school guy or this guy because he's a college guy with, uh, back then, the, the signing bonuses were, nobody knew what they were. <laughs> they weren't announced. So uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't so much of a leverage thing. There just wasn't. Okay, so 
Frank Thomas and Don't Believe the Hype. What does that have to do with the three questions for owners for this offseason? Thanks for listening to my podcast. I try to put quality effort into each episode, bringing you information you might not get as promptly or completely from other sources. If you have friends that might be interested in the podcast, send them a link of a favorite episode that might resonate with them. This might even work for some of your friends. Hitting like, share, follow, subscribe, or retweet is also appreciated. If you need help in sharing, ask away. If this service is worth more than the asking price, most podcast servers allow you a simple link to contribute to the podcast in any fashion you deem worthwhile. Anchor allows sponsorships as well for podcasts. Whether or not those apply to you, thanks for listening. The three questions for owners. And why did I bring up Frank Thomas? I brought up Frank Thomas because of the premise, don't believe the hype or don't take the bait. Either one, either or. As the off-season progresses, you are going to be asked a number of questions by your favorite website, your favorite blogger, your favorite whoever the talking head is that is trying to get you revved for the 2021 season. That's all fine, well, and good because it's their job to get you to click on said article so you're interested in reading and etc. all that kind of stuff. There are three questions. If they're not asking these, there are three questions for owners this off-season. If at least one of these three questions is not being asked in the article, the article may be wasting your time. A lot of these questions are going to be, should the, insert team here, tender a contract to, insert player here. Which players should this team pursue over the offseason in free agency? Should this team go after Trevor Bauer? Should this team go after whoever it is? Should this team make a trade for Francisco Lindor or whoever else? What what are the Yankees going to do, seeing as they still haven't won a World Series in umpteen years? If the Dodgers don't win, what are they going to do? Seeing as they haven't won a Dodge, uh, world, a, the uh, piece of metal in umpteen years. Now, what, what is it that these teams are... Those are going to be the narratives you're going to read. And they're missing the three most obvious questions. The three questions that matter. And until these three questions get dealt with, other things, I, they're less important. I, I, I will still talk about a lot of things that don't regard these three questions, but the three questions are going to hang over everything, like the clouds on a you know sunless day at three in the afternoon. You know, it's like, where's the sun? Well, the the clouds are blocking it. I can still talk about 
should this designated for assignment player be acquired by the Cubs, as long as you know that the three questions are in the background or even the foreground, whichever way you want it. But the three questions that ought to be being asked of owners, considered by owners, and until these three questions get fully contemplated by baseball fans, everything's missed. Everything is missed. And the reason the three questions won't be missed, the, the reason the three questions won't be placed is because, well, you're trying to put a damper on things. No, I'm not trying to put a damper on things. The damper's already there. The damper's already there. I'm just trying to be obvious, open up the questions, announce the questions, let people know what the questions are, and then after we have discussed the three questions and everybody knows what the three questions are, then we can go on with whatever we're doing, but realize that the three questions are the most important things. Okay, Tim, what are the three questions? Quit flirting with us. Tell us. First question is, I've already asked this one. What's your 2021 magic number? What, what is the owner going to spend on the roster in 2021? Easy question. You're not going to get an answer to it. <laughs> God knows Tom Ricketts isn't going to say, oh, my magic number for this year is going to be 127.5, and that excludes the Daniel Descalso and John Lester buyouts. 127.3, and that Tom Tom Ricketts isn't going to say that. But what he's going to be willing to allow Theo Epstein or whoever else to spend is forefront and everything. Well, if the number is 98.2, that's going to change everything. If it's the 257.9 that a lot of Cubs fans want it to be, oh, yeah, then, then they can go out and spend, uh, get Trevor Bauer. They can go out and get the pieces that they need to fill out the team. But What's the number? There aren't necessarily going to be fans next year. Tom Ricketts has no walking around money. The money they gets from TV contracts, that goes into a different kitty. The walking around money is the stuff that the money that he got from parking, the money that he got from beer sales, the money that he got from selling uh, furters. That's the money that he spends on, oh, okay, I'm going to go out and buy a free agent. He doesn't have any walking around money. What's Tom Ricketts' magic number? And you can ask the same question for every single owner in the league. What is the magic number? The Dodgers, the Yankees, they might kick up their magic number. They might. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who's going to do what. And frankly, from a businessman perspective, it's really difficult to criticize too heavily someone for, well, I thought I was going to be making a whole lot of money, but I'm not going to be making a whole lot of money, so I might as well not spend on stuff. <laughs> you know, if you have a mom and pop grocery store and they're told, no, you can only have six uh, customers in the store because of COVID, well, they can't really have the same amount of staff. It's different. Everything changes when you can't have business. 
What will the magic number be in 2021? That is the first most important question. If that question isn't being asked in an article, ignore it. Or ask the writer what the... I had one specific article I saw. An art, uh, an author... I, I'd seen it linked to on a number of Cubs sites. And I asked someone on Twitter, well, what's the author think about basic baseball economics? The author came on and answered me. And he gave a good enough answer. I read the article because I understood that he grasped basic baseball economics. So since he grasped baseball economics, I read his article. It wasn't bad. But I wasn't going to click just to uh, have smoke blown up someone's behind. I wasn't going to click to take the bait. Don't take the bait. If someone is posting a garbage article and you know the proper questions aren't going to be being asked, I'll leave that hanging. So, first question is, what is the magic number going to be in 2021? The second, in, second question, almost as important. Almost as important, some people might argue, this is more important than the first question. And I wouldn't argue it too heavily that this, that the second question might be more important than the first one. But nobody wants to go there yet. You expect the, 2020, the 2022 season to be played? If there's going to be no 2022 season, that changes things. That changes things quite a bit. And I can even give you two reasons. It changes everything for the Cubs if there is going to be no 2022 season. Two reasons. Kyle Schwarber and Chris Bryant. The thought has been, well... Even if they leave in free agency, you can slap the old uh, qualifying offer on the player. Then when someone else signs them, the Cubs will get a draft choice. No, it's it's not, you know, getting three prospects or anything like that, but it's, you know, at least it's getting something. Well, remember how the Craig Kimbrell thing worked? The Craig Kimbrell thing worked if... Kimbrell was signed before the draft. Whichever team signed him would either be out a second round what would be out a second round a second round draft pick and possibly a fifth round draft pick and $500,000 in international spending or possibly a million in international spending. So you'd either lose a second round pick or a second and a fifth and 500 or a million in international spending, depending upon when he was signed. If there's going to be no 2022 season, when do you think the lockout or um, strike will happen? I've got it down to about a 15-minute period. 
How can you have it down to a 15-minute period? It's not even happening yet. How can you have it down to a 15-minute period? Because there's one bit of business that has to be accomplished every off-season. Other things can be debated. Other things can be argued. But one thing has to happen every off-season. The Rule 5 draft. Now, you can care about the Rule 5 draft or not. But the Rule 5 draft has to happen. The players insist on it and the owners insist on it. It has to happen. It has to take place. It is an essential portion of business. It's kind of like, you know, paying taxes or, you know, whatever else it is. The Rule 5 draft, whether you like it or not, whether you care about it or not, has to happen. Once the Rule 5 draft happens in December of 2021, which would be in 14 months, ish, 13 and a half. Owners can call a lockout. Why wouldn't they? They don't want their players getting hurt. At least their major league players. They, they don't want their... If they're not going to have games, why have practice? I see a lockout about 10 or 15 minutes after the Rule 5 draft minor league portion ends. If it ends at 12.30 Eastern time, lockout proceedings, 1, 1.15, maybe even sooner than that. And then everybody hop on your plane and head home to wherever you're going to because everybody's locked out. Seems to make sense to me. So if there's a lockout... When is Chris Bryant going to sign a contract? Certainly not going to be before the draft. Not if the lockout lasts any length. So, if Chris Bryant is not going to be able to give the Cubs anything as far as draft compensation after the 2021 season in the 2022 draft, the Cubs might as well trade him. <laughs> Unless they're really looking like a World Series team, they might as well trade them for something. Something. Maybe uh, who is the best second-round draft pick we can get from last year's draft for Chris Bryant? You get him for four months, three months, whatever. Then we're going to have a lockout, and you know it, and I know it. So, might as well get something for him. That's why I see. Unless the Cubs are absolutely a loaded team, and they are looking like they're better than the Braves are now, might as well trade him. Get something for him, because they're not going to get anything for him any other way. You expect the 2022 season to be played? I don't. Adjust to things on the fly if you don't think the 2022 season will be played. Again, that's not a, yay, uh, puppies and unicorns and apple pie and uh, children loving their mother and all that kind of stuff. No, it's not, that, that's not put. If there's going to be a strike or a lockout in 2022, that changes the business of baseball. And... Players that would be free agents 
after the 2021 season. And there's going to be a couple of them. They're not going to bring any value to their teams. Not a bit. Unless it's negotiated into the uh, new collective bargaining agreement. I have no idea how that's going to work. But is there going to be a 2022 season? Answer that question. Those questions. The first question, what is the 2021 magic number? Second question, will the 2022 season be played? Those two questions ought to be forefront in any baseball writers. This is the future of the game sort of comments. If they're not, they're being negligent. They're lying to you. If not lying, they're being deliberately negligent. But you said there's a third question. Yeah, there's a third question. There's definitely a third question for the owners for this offseason. Will you invest like the draft is how your team acquires low-cost talent? Will you invest in the draft in 2021 like the draft is how your team acquires low-cost talent? Scouts are being fired. Yeah, fi- furloughed, fired, what you gone. I'm not making any money, so I'm not going to have as many scouts as I did last year. We had 80 scouts last year. We're going to go with 53 this year. We don't need scouts if I'm not making any money. That's a standard mindset. If we're not making money, I'm not going to spend money on scouts. And for some people, that makes perfect sense. For some people, it's, ooh, I don't know about that. That uh, seems a little... Whether I like the mindset or whether I dislike the mindset, the question still applies. Will you invest like the draft is how you acquire low-cost talent? Because the draft is the best way to acquire loads of quality, low-cost talent. And if you draft the right players, like the White Sox did with Frank Thomas, it benefits you well into the future. If you are bad at selecting, like the Cubs were with Earl Cunningham, actually, I don't know if Earl Cunningham was a bad player. I don't know if he was a bad player. It could just be that he was in a situation where he was not going to be properly developed because the coaching in the Cubs pipeline was horrible. If the Cubs had, at the time they drafted Earl Cunningham, the the coaches that they have now, possibly Earl Cunningham, would have figured everything out. I have no idea. It ends up being a butterfly effect. People like to assume that because, um, for instance, because when Lou Brock went to the Cardinals, he became fantastic. If he would have stayed with the Cubs, he would have been fantastic as well. I ain't buying that. I haven't bought that the entire time. Because the reason that Lou Brock was middling with the Cubs 
was because of the way he was being trained, the way he was being developed, and since the Cubs weren't able to get messages across to Lou Brock, he was never going to be good with the Cubs. When he was traded to the Cardinals, they told him different things, and he was able to succeed. Will owners invest like the draft matters? Like the draft is how you acquire quality, low-cost talent. Last year's draft was a farce because it was only five rounds long. It was also a farce because the season was only four weeks long. So all the scouts who were counting on watching most of the conference tournament games. I'm going to watch all the conference tournament games when the weather gets good and assess talent based on that. Sorry, no can do, no games. Not only are there no games, the league banned scouting regardless. Even if a coach, even if a scout could get out and look at a player, that was not permitted because some owners didn't want to do that. So what that means is this season, teams will walk into their college season with scads of unknowns. Well, how good's that third baseman? I don't know. I we can only see him for four weeks last year, and we only got one look at him. He went one for four, had a double to right field. What's that going to tell you? Not a darn thing. And, and the pitcher, their their ace pitcher, their their Friday night guy this year, he uh he pitched once. What what's that going to tell you? If owners want to be good. If owners want to have a good team in 2023, 2024, 2025, they should probably pot commit to aggressively attacking the draft. Aggressively attacking the draft. Have three scouts in Alabama. Have five of them in Texas. Have four of them in in Florida. Have seven of them in California. Have scouts all over the place watching games. Why? Because you need cheap talent. It's obvious that's what owners want. They want cheap talent. They don't want to sign. Teams don't want to sign extensions. They want cheap talent. They want the first six years of the player. And after they become free agents, bye. Unless Unless you signed an extension, bye. We don't care. Go somewhere else. We'll take the second round draft pick. That's how it's become. If insert team here hires enough scouts and puts together an informational grid that's going to make sure that the war room has all the information they need to accurately assess all of the college and high school talent eligible for the draft, that team will do well in the draft. If not, I think you can answer that question. There are three questions that matter. And if you are reading articles by a, oh, if you're doing if you're following a podcast or a website or a blog or whatever, and the person talking about the decision-making process is not asking the three questions. What is the 2021 magic number? 
Do you expect 2022's season to be played? Will you invest like drafts are how your team acquires low-cost talent? Those are three questions. Ignore those, and there's no point in going there. They're not happy, cheerful, glowing questions. It's kind of like, if you ever heard uh, Finlandia by Sibelius? Check it out. Check it out. I, I should probably link to it. Uh, at the very start of Finlandia by Sibelius, there are some very, very, very ominous notes. And you can just tell by listening to the first five seconds of the song, uh-oh, something bad's about to go down. There are three questions. Make sure they're being asked. Thanks for stopping by Pre-Arb Excellence. I'll have another podcast up soon, as circumstances warrant. I'll attempt to have that worth your time as well. Be safe, go Cubs go, and be nice to people.